This is the Fearless Agent Podcast, where you learn how to make way more money fast selling real estate with your host, the fearless agent himself, Bob Leffler. And good day to you. This is Bob here at the Fearless Agent Podcast for real estate sales professionals like you, where we explain why every single thing you've been taught by the entire real estate industry is wrong and you will make lots more money in way less time by doing the exact opposite. So today's topic is uh, know your ideal target customer. So uh, I was thinking about this, and uh, I'll, I'll tell you a, a story. When I was uh, newer in real estate, this is 100 years ago, Ramon. Oh, I forgot to do the headlines of the day. I was getting right into this high-quality real estate shtick. Must oh do goodness, jocularity. Must. <laughs> exactly, jocularity. Now, I don't know if you saw this headline, but a gorilla in the Miami Zoo received the COVID-19 nasal test. Did you hear about that? I did indeed, yeah. Yeah, the gorilla is going to be fine. The person who administered the test, not expected to recover. Should I? Well, I might as well. I would. Here we go. <laughs> okay. Oh, my God. Oh, that's too bad. That's kind of sad. All right. So know your ideal target customer. So I, so here's the story. I'm new in real estate. I go to this real estate sales training class called Sweat Hogs. Now, I failed for five years. I take this class. It completely turns it around for me. I become very successful as a result. Floyd Wickman was the my mentor and friend Floyd. So um, he was the guy that was, uh, you know, heading up sweat But part of the deal was they had what they called the days of pain. So uh, he said, you, back in those days, we had these reverse phone directories. So it was called the Coles directory. Now, this is a shameless plug for Coles. You can go to Cole, C-O-L-E, information.com, and that's an online thing these days. So you could buy data for neighborhoods and stuff like that. And then you could import that information into Mojo cells or whatever you're you're using. But back in those days, it was like a giant phone book for the whole town I was in. So which is Phoenix, which is the, you know, the fifth largest market in the nation. So they had three giant thick books and you would look it up by street name is one way to do it. So Floyd says, you know, you get the reverse phone directly directory, you pick the street quick is what he would say, and then you call until you get one, meaning you book a listing appointment. So I said, well, I'm going to choose kind of the area where I work anyway, where I live, you know. So I I kind of picked my farm area the way other people pick their farm area, I happen to pick the area in which I live. Now, is that a good way to pick your farm area? No. And you'll see why in a minute. So this other lady, uh, Roxanne was her name, she took that Floyd's advice a little too literally. So she randomly just opens the book, sticks her finger down and starts calling. So she's prospecting, calling people up, asking them if they want to sell their house. And a fair number of people say yes. And she ends up getting listings and then she gets more listings. And these listings 
are nowhere near where she lives. She just happened to pick this street real quick and it's way out on the edge of town. It's a brand new area and she ended up doing so much business there that she ended up moving to that area just because it was easier, okay? So I think if you give a little thought to who your ideal target customer would be, it would be a good idea. So let's let's just work through this together. So write write this down. Ideal target customer. Who are they? Now, are they sellers? Are they buyers? Are they investors? And now when I say investors, I'm not talking about these fix and flip nitwits. I'm talking about real rich people with money to invest invest buy and hold people that are easy to work with and make money with. So sellers, and now investors can be both buyers and sellers, but sellers, the lifestyle of a listing mostly or only agent is going to be entirely different than the lifestyle of a buyer agent, entirely different. The way you attract the business is going to be entirely different. So you know, if you're going to focus on sellers, it would be telemarketing. Now, I have quite a number of brand new agents that uh, I coach and I have a fair number of people that I coach that don't even have their license yet. They have called me and say, I want to hit the ground running and one of the conversations we have is uh, how should I pick the company for which I'm going to work? So – and I don't have any – you know, allegiances to any brand. You know, I have my own uh, preferences perhaps, but I don't try to impose that on other people. And in other regions, they might not even have those brands that I happen to like anyway. Um, and when people say, what's your favorite brand? I tend not to, to go into that because I don't think that, that I need to impose that on them. But uh, I, I do ask them to – if you're – perhaps you're in this situation. Perhaps you're listening to this podcast or you're thinking of changing companies or something like that, which I generally don't recommend. But, um, but if you are, I, I always tell them, I say, why don't you ask – when you interview with a company, ask this question. And the question is to the manager or the owner, whoever is trying to recruit you, say, if there was one activity that I could do every day – that you think would guarantee my success in real estate, what activity would that be? Now, if you ask me that, I would say, well, if at 9 a.m. you pick up the phone and you were to prospect calling your sphere of influence, asking them for referrals proactively, and when you run out of them and you then you would go to any new for sale by owners, using the magic fearless agent words, of course, and then when you run out of them, which would be pretty quick, then you go to any new expireds or canceleds using the magic fearless agent words, of course. And then when you run out of them, you go to any follow-up calls from previous cold calling that you've done. And then when you run out of them, then you would just settle in and cold call up and down the street through neighborhoods and do not get off the phone until you've booked five listing appointments a week. So, you know, so it's only one a day. Now, I don't think any uh, owner is going to have that answer. But if they did, 
I don't care how crappy their brand is, that's the owner you would want to work for because they know what it takes to be successful in real estate. So all the agents that I have ever given that advice to, they all said, I'm glad I asked that question. And it was interesting, the, the answers they had. Now, if they're, now, all of them told me that the number one answer they heard was social media. Okay, stop my ribs. You're killing me. Really? Social media? So if, if you are interviewing and you say, if there was one activity that I could do every day that you think would guarantee my success in real estate, and they say social media, then the follow-up question I would say is, who's your, what's the first name of your number one highest producing agent? And they'd say, oh, well, that's Shirley over there. Is that how Shirley did it? Social media? No, that is not how Shirley did it. Now, she probably called for sale by owners, called, you know, all these people like I, I said. Uh, or, they, or they'll say, oh, they, she gets mostly referral business. And, well, that may be true now, but it wasn't true in the beginning. She didn't start by doing social media. And I've never met an agent on the phone or in person who did what I think is a, a lot of business and, and social media was the way they did it. Not that it couldn't happen, but it doesn't happen is the way it works. So – how are you going to find the sellers? Well, that's how you're going to find the sellers. Now, how are you going to find buyers? Well, you're not going to find buyers through social media either. You're going to hold open houses. If you hold open houses, you will find many, many more buyers uh, than if – and you can find buyers on social media, but they won't be area-specific, price-specific, right now, got out of my car and came into your open house – uh, in that particular area like they would be if you held open houses. So that would be the, the work you would do. Now, that's way different work than doing the telephone prospecting. You would meet with them, if you do it right, in your office, give them a presentation, just like you would meet with the sellers in their home and give them a presentation. More often than not, you'd be in their home uh, or in your office. And so that part's the same. But what happens after you give the presentation? Well, they're going to be – if you have a listing, the, the buyer agents are going to be calling me, begging me to hand me money. Uh, if I'm the buyer agent, I'm going to be hauling people around looking at houses and then I'm going to write an offer on their favorite house and then I'm going to find out there's three other offers and then I'm, I'm going to be begging and groveling and doing all that kind of stuff. So it's a different lifestyle also because I'm not going to have weekends off probably as easily if I work with buyers or as profitably. With sellers, I never have to work a Saturday or a Sunday. It's all by appointment only and that's, that's the way it is. So it's easier and it's far more profitable. I can control how much my paycheck is going to be. I can charge 7% with a seller and keep 4%. If Otherwise, I'm left with whatever the listing agent pays me if I'm the buyer agent, and that could be three. It rarely would be three and a half. It would never be four, and it might be two or two and a half. Now, investors, who am I if I'm likely to bump into accidentally a bunch of investors with a whole lot of money to spend? Well, I would have to be old, and I am old. 
But I hang out with people my age and older very commonly uh, and younger because I'm immature, but that's a separate issue. Uh, but investors, generally, the average age of a real estate investor is probably 70. So, uh, you know, if you're hanging around in nursing homes or something like that, you've got – but it, it kind of depends on that. So let's say I decide – wisely, I would argue, to do focus on sellers. And most people – and that's not unwise to focus on buyers. If you like buyers, I always say the secret to life is not doing what you love. It really is about avoiding what you hate. So let's say you hate sellers and you want to focus on buyers. Then get really good at open houses. If you don't have listings, you'd have to hold somebody else's listing open. They wouldn't even necessarily have to be from your same company. But you have to have an inventory of houses to hold open. It would be great if they were vacant. Uh, not mean I don't mean unfurnished, but I mean the sellers are out of town or not around, uh, out not living in it, perhaps. Uh, so that would be easy. So just setting up your ideal target customer is important. So if it's sellers, then uh, which sellers would it be? So am I going to? Would I prefer older sellers with lots of equity that they could pay me with? Would I prefer sellers who have who own the house free and clear because they bought it 30 years ago and have paid it off? Or would I prefer young millennial sellers who bought it two years ago, they put minimum down, they have no equity and oh, it went down in value because they bought a brand new house and they got new car smell when they bought it. Now they stunk it up. So there's no equity to pay me with. So a little thing like that can hurt you. So I, when I was newish in real estate, I wasn't very good at getting listings. And I would have agents say to me, I can never get people to pay me a full commission. And I said, I never have that problem. I always get 7%. It was never a problem. I had problems, but that was not my problem. And they'd say, um, you know, I, can, I, I can't ever uh, get people to price it right. And I'd say, well, I have pro- – that's not my problem. I don't have that problem. And I'm thinking, why is it that I don't have that problem getting my sellers to price it right? I never had a problem getting them to pay me full commission. And those all the other agents in my office were constantly having those problems. Well, it was because how I chose my farm area. I chose my farm area the same way they did. They picked the area in which they live. But they lived in a newer area. I lived in the older part of Scottsdale in houses that were built in 1958 and all of the sellers – had bought those houses, you know, those those houses were 30 years old when I started in 1984. So they were all paid off or a whole bunch of them were. And they – the other agents were, were in four-year-old neighborhoods where they lived because those neighborhoods are cheaper, you know, and people tend to be broker, I guess. Uh, and it killed them. It literally drove them out of the business. So sellers who are older – are are better. Buyers generally who are older are better too because they have more money to put down. And investors have to be 70-ish uh, or they're these 
fix and flip nitwits who went to a seminar. So what's the price range? Is there a sweet spot for you? Okay. So uh, many, many people that I coach have said to me, you know, I want to do luxury homes. Well, uh, doesn't everybody? Yeah, all things being equal, if you could sell mansions instead of smelly little old ladies' houses, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you sell the mansions? Wouldn't you rather work in Beverly Hills than in Watts? I mean, come on. Well, part of part of that means that there's going to be a lot more competition for those listings. And here's a little rule of thumb that I noticed: uh, people who are members of the country club near me. People who are members of Scottsdale Country Club or people who are members of Phoenix Country Club or people who are members of Paradise Valley Country Club do not list their homes with agents who live in the hood. That almost never happens. They generally are going to list their home with somebody who is also a member of that country club. Because they have stuff in common with them. It just, it just kind of makes sense. Now, is that a better choice? Should they list their house with the, with the agent who's a member of the country club? No, because that agent's probably not a fearless agent. They probably uh, have no skills whatsoever, but they, they hit it off with them. And sometimes they're kind of obligated to do it because of business connections and stuff like that. So they end up listing with the know-nothing husband of the wife who's a member of the country club that's a business partner or something, and that, and that's just they're stuck with this person's spouse who knows nothing about real estate maybe. So it's probably not a good idea, but that's how it happens. So maybe it's true, and I think it is true, that you're accidentally going to sell the most of what there is the most of to sell. Isn't that right? Aren't you accidentally going to sell the most of what they built the most of to sell? Well, what did they build the most of to sell? Well, I don't want you working in the hood. I want you working on the good side of town. But on the good side of town, if you find the 1960s nice neighborhood, 1,500 square foot, three-bedroom, two-bath house in very average condition – What would that sell for? This is a neighborhood that you would feel very comfortable living in, crime-free, very nice neighborhood, the nice part of town, but it's an older neighborhood built in the 1960s, 70s, 80s. That's what they built the most of to sell because of the baby boom. That's just what there is the most of. So that's going to accidentally happen anyway, maybe. And the funny thing about that is those are the most expensive houses with the most equity. You get out on the edge of town where they're newer, not only do they don't have any equity, they're cheaper because they're out in the middle of nowhere because the land underneath the house is worthless. So maybe that's the sweet spot for you. Maybe that just makes sense and you're going to make a lot more money. By the way, if any of the stuff we talk about on this podcast or any of the other many episodes that you've listened to – if it makes sense, and you happen to be earning less selling real estate than you wish you were, and you happen to be open to the idea of having some help with that, well, we're here to help you. So if you would like to learn more, you can always call me anytime, 480-385-8810. That is my cell phone. 
And let's just see if you and what you're trying to do and what we do, if it would even be a good fit for you. 480-385-8810. I love talking to realtors. I don't want you to think you're bothering me at all. You're not. Uh, Please don't email to me or text to me. Always call me because texting and emailing are very bad habits in sales, in or out of sales, I think. Uh, So give me a call. And if you can't afford our coaching but you wish you could, you can go to fearlessagent.com, watch our free webinar. It's about 45 minutes long. Take lots of notes. Go to our video training page. And my guarantee to you is our free videos on our website would be way, way better coaching than you would pay any other coach any amount of money for. And if you ever have a question, of course, you can always call me because we want to help you no matter what. So Call me at 480-385-8810. Also, go to fearlessagent.tv and subscribe. And then if you haven't already subscribed to fearlessagentpodcast.com, you can subscribe to this as well. So we are here to help you. So again, your ideal target customer, are they sellers, are they buyers, are they investors? In other words, your primary focus. What's the right price range? Um, any other preferences you have. I think it's good to know what you hate. Uh, I always say the secret to life is not doing what you love. It's avoiding what you hate. So I know what I hate. I hate homeowners associations. I hate condos. I hate things that don't have equity. What are the things that don't have equity to pay me with? Young people. Young people don't have equity. Where do young people live? They live in newer neighborhoods. Uh, condos never go up in value, okay? They commonly go down in value a lot. So I could, if I can avoid, not, not that if you come to me and say, hey, Bob, I want you to list my condo, I'm going to say no, although I did. I don't need you to do that. But uh, when you go looking for business, focus on the areas where it's single-family homes only or mostly. I always say if you go looking for trouble, you're probably going to find it. So uh, any other preferences you have. Now, I live in a state with very few two-story houses. Two-story houses are unusual in Phoenix. Uh, They're also not great because you have to walk upstairs and I'm lazy, so I just didn't do that. So I avoided all the neighborhoods that had two-story houses. We don't do basements here. So I kind of know what I like. Old people in older neighborhoods, single-level, single-family homes. And uh, I will say this, that absolutely served me well. Then you think about what is the issues that your target market is having. Well, if it's older people who are smarter, wiser, nicer, they have issues like health issues. So they've got money problems that are different than the money problems younger people have. They are uh, perhaps widowed or divorced, and they have a money problem because their spouse earner is no longer there. They have a big house they don't need anymore, and they're moving to something smaller, cheaper, or they're going to rent. And so their issues are different than some other people. Now, if you're moving from the smaller house to the bigger one, you've got different issues. You've got a money problem. But I always focus on fixing their money problem. And if you have a health problem, it's likely you also have a money problem. 
If you have a relationship problem, that typically causes money problems. So be great as a fearless agent. Every fearless agent is great at fixing the money problem. Selling their house for more than it's worth so that they net tens of thousands of extra dollars they could never get with any other agent, that's a, that's a blessing for them if you can do that, which we can. Now, I've got all this stuff, they say. Oh, you know, old people, they've got all this stuff. I don't know what I'm going to do with all this stuff. So that's a thing that causes them to make the mistake of putting off listing their house, which hurts you, but it also hurts them. The quicker they get out of there, the better off they're going to be. So I would just have this conversation with them. I'd say, look, you've got a lot of stuff. That's true. And you have three kinds of stuff. Did you know that? And they go, no. I go, yeah, you have three kinds of stuff. You've got stuff that when you go to the old folks' home or when you go to your next much smaller place or wherever you're going, that you absolutely do want to take with you. It's your personal stuff. And then you've got other stuff that you don't want to take with you. But you have relatives or close friends, and they want some of that stuff. You don't want it, but they want it. And then you've got the third group of stuff, and that's the stuff that nobody wants. You don't want it, and your friends don't want it. Your relatives don't want it. So here's the question. There's always a magic question that leads to one right answer, and you already know the answer. So let's say there was a magic way that I could make all of that stuff disappear and I would turn it into cash and I could do it in one day, would you take the cash? And they go, well, sure. I go, okay. That's what we're going to do. Sign here. And they sign the listing and they go, how do you do it? I go, you don't need to worry about that. It's too soon. We're going to do it. Well, how do I do it? Well, I call up my estate sale expert, and in one day, they turn all that crap into cash, right? So you don't need to you – know, so a non-fearless agent, when the old lady or the old guy says, I got all this stuff, they go, oh, that's no problem. You just hire an estate sale and they start talking, and they go, I'm going to have to think about that because it's too much to think about. So instead of doing that baloney, you just ask one magic question and that will always fix it. So what's the benefit for them? So we know our ideal target customer. We know what their issues are. We know what their problems are. Then what's the benefit for them in doing business with you? So it's your value proposition. It's I do business completely differently than all other agents. And it virtually guarantees you of two things. One is that your house is actually going to sell and the other is that you're going to end up with way, way more money, bottom line, than you could get any other way. Would you say that's definitely what you're looking for? What it is not 
It's an outcome. It's not a process. The process is horrible. We have a horrible process that we put people through. And your competitor, when you're a non-fearless agent, is or your competitor who is a non-fearless agent, they don't have the value proposition. They only have the crappy process. And that's how you get the listing, and they don't. Because you don't talk about, oh, yeah, I'm going to put you on the internet, and we're going to have all these pictures all over of the inside of your house and let everybody know you live like a pig and what a horrible decorator. Oh, my gosh, he's horrible. And then we're going to have people traipsing through your house at all hours of the night and day and we're going to hang a lockbox. That's the process. Nobody likes that. Don't sell them that. Sell them on the outcome. So what's the benefit? It's your value proposition. It's not your process. It's more money than they could get any other way. It's easier I make it easy on you so it's faster or it's on their timeline. It's more convenient. That's what we sell. So if there was a way to get you way more money, get it to you on the exact day you want that money and have it all be convenient, would you want to hear how I do that? Yes, I would. Great. Can I explain step by step exactly how I do that. Yes, you can. Okay. Well, step number one is we're going to meet. And uh, I like to meet with people in the afternoons or the evenings. And uh, do you have a nine-to-five job? No, I don't. You know, I've got 2.30 in the afternoon available on Thursday or would the following Monday be better? That's how I do it. Okay. You book the appointment. You don't sell them on stuff over the phone, and then let them know what success looks like. Tell them what to expect. Give examples of how it has worked for other people. And the more specific and the more measurable, you know, the more confident they're going to feel about you. And then you add a call to action, which is the next steps. It's the appointment. It's sign here, et cetera. So you've got to tell them what success looks like. After you tell them what's the benefit for them, after you know what their issue is, after you know that this person is your ideal target. So a seller, if it's a seller, you want a seller that has to sell. Not a I would sell if seller. So you stay on the phone longer to find the person that says, yes, I have to sell. They're going to sell. It's going to happen. The only question is who's the agent. So once you've identified your ideal customer, you know what their issue is, you're able to find out and describe what the benefit is for them, and you tell them what success looks like, all of a sudden, your life gets easier. Why? Because you're a fearless agent. So I want to thank you for joining us today. Please do visit us at fearlessagent.com. Please do go to fearlessagent.tv and subscribe. Please go to fearlessagentpodcast.com and give us a five-star review of this podcast. And until next week, do what every fearless agent does. Have fun, be humble, but most of all, be fearless. Thanks, gang. Oh,